may be wondering today why I read from three passages of Scripture. Remember going into a meeting many years ago, Brethren sort of place in Northern Ireland. I was there for 20 years as a minister in the Presbyterian situation there. And I heard this man get up to preach. He read from three sections of Scripture. But the strange thing was he preached on none of them. Well, I'm not going to make that mistake today. I was thinking not long ago, just a couple of weeks back, if God in his providence had given me a daughter, I think I would have liked to have called her Mary. Mary. And that thought a kind of took hold of me. And I thought of the Marys that we read upon the pages of Holy Writ. I thought of Mary Magdalene. I thought of Mary, the mother of Salome. I thought of Mary, the husband of Joseph, the mother of our Lord Jesus. And then my mind settled upon this woman known as Mary of Bethany. And as the Lord should enable me just now, I want us to spend a little time in looking at the pictures that the Spirit of God has etched upon God's Word with regarding this, this wonderful woman. You see, the Lord, he holds her up as a very light, as one who needs to be emulated. He commends her for all that she sought to do for him. And so we're looking at this woman, Mary, today, a very simple outline as I've been meditating upon it. As I look at this woman, Mary, first of all, I want you to note the desire for his presence. She was a woman who desired above all things to know the reality of the Lord's presence in her soul. She wasn't happy and content with the mere dead, lifeless orthodoxy. She was taken up with Christ because God had done something within her soul. I think the first time she cast her eyes upon the Son of God, she must have been mesmerized. And she longed from that moment on from the day that the grace of God entered into her soul, she wanted more and more to learn of Jesus and to get into the presence of the Son of God. Now, this desire for the Lord's presence in Luke chapter 10, note first of all her posture. It says in verse 39 that she sat at his feet. Now, that's a wonderful thing, friend. For you and I to sit at the feet of our Lord Jesus. A place of nearness. She wanted to be near him, you see. A place of dearness. Her, her affections were upon the Son of God. She could have said, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And what is there on earth that I desire above thee? And she's sitting there, you see. This posture. Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And the purpose, of course... Well, it's highlighted in that same 39th verse. She wanted to hear his voice. She heard his word. That's why she's drawn nigh unto him, sitting at his feet, that she might hear the voice of the Son of God. I want to ask you today, 
Have you heard the voice of Jesus? He tells us in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. A lovely voice to hear the call of God upon the soul. My sheep hear it. They're conscious, they know his voice. And she heard his voice. And I'm sure she sat there at his feet and she lifted up her eyes. She saw his face. And what a face that is. The one of whom the book tells us that he's altogether lovely. And so she was a woman, you see. Above all things, she desired to get in to the Lord's presence. And thank God you and I are invited into that presence. We can enter in within the veil. Our blessed saviors open the way of access. We can draw near unto him. With John we can lean upon his bosom. We can look into the face of the son of God. And I'll tell you it's a wonderful thing to know the presence of the Lord because in his presence there's fullness of joy and at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I visited a home only this past week. I went into the house and the husband said, my wife's something to tell you. And I've known these folk for 30 years since I've been back in this country from Ireland. I says, what is it, Deborah? He says, the Lord's paid me a visit. She says, I've heard his voice, and I've seen his face like I've never seen it or heard it before. And she says, I'm lost for words. Man, joy unspeakable, full of glory. And this woman, Mary, she had a desire to get into the Lord's presence. And she sits there, she hears his voice, she sees his lovely face and the glory of God that must have been streaming down from the face of the Son of God. And she must have been lost in wonder, love, and praise. And then we have highlighted here her priority. Her priority. You remember her sister on this occasion, Martha, was so active at this particular time. What an opportunity she had to sit at the Savior's feet. But she was troubled with many things. And there are many things that trouble us so that we haven't got the time to get down before him. That low place of humility in his presence and brokenness and just enjoy the nearness of the Lord without even saying a word. Martha missed it that day, but Mary didn't miss it because she had her priorities right. I know the Lord's saying to me, I need to get my priorities right. It's easy to get the Lord's touch off your soul and lose that touch and become dry and barren and go through the whole rigmarole of worship and yet the heart's far from God. And so we have this lovely picture here that the Spirit of God paints for us. It's Mary, Mary. And she's there, her desire. What's your desire, Mary? Well, I have many desires, but the greatest desire of all is to know him and the power of his resurrection, to get into his presence, to feel his touch upon my soul again and to draw my affections out up to him until I'm lost in wonder, love, and praise. So we have the desire, her desire for his presence. I read from Luke chapter 11 because the next picture and portrait we have of Mary She's a woman who was dependent upon his power. 
dependent upon his power. You're not long in the Christian life before you begin to realize without him we can do nothing. And the situation's arisen now in this little home in Bethany. You see, you remember, very few people would welcome the Lord Jesus into their home. But not so Mary. Our Lord Jesus knew that he could always find a welcome in her home, in that home of Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And it's a powerful thing, beloved, if our Lord Jesus is welcome in our home. Could we welcome him today? What would he see? Would he see things that would upset him? Well, this woman here, she welcomed him into her home. And now we're at Bethany once again. And with her, when you read the first verse, we read of the trial. A certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. The trial. Regardless of how much the Lord appreciated that home and really loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus, it wasn't without trials. They weren't exempt from painful trials in life. One day, sickness hit that home. Prior to then, everything seemed to be lovely and calm and they just, well, they believed that tomorrow will be just like today. But one day, this this devastating thing happened and we're told that their brother was sick and we know from the context it wasn't just an earache or toothache it was a serious illness that had befallen this man Lazarus this trial and there are trials sometimes that you and I have to pass through that aren't very pleasant I've had trials in my life that have virtually driven me to black despair I couldn't begin to tell you. And I know throughout life's journey, if it's not one thing, it's something else. And this trial hit this home, and I'm sure it shook them to the very core. What a trial it was. But note her telling Mary, well, in verse 2, Mary and Martha, they went and told the Lord Jesus. Verse 3, therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord Behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. If you lay back on a bed of sickness, or you're under satanic attack, and the trials are more than you can bear, and you're at your wit's end, as the psalmist puts it, nevertheless, the Lord loved this family. God loves you today if you belong to him, regardless of what darkness providence has cast over your path. It's not an easy road walking with God and living for God. And the devil will be sure to bring you down one way or the other. And if he can't get you to compromise, he'll push you overboard. And here is this trial, and but they go, you see, they know where to go with the troubles. They went and told Jesus, you see. They went and told him. Do you know why? Because what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and guilt to bear. Our sins. They weigh us down. They get us down. It'd be a great thing if when the Lord saves us, we could have the sin matter completely extracted from the body. But that's not how it is. But here we see them, and they're going to the Lord. 
because God is still their refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. And if you're going through a time of trouble, beloved, you need to go and talk to the Lord about it. You can speak to the Lord. You can tell him because he's interested in you. He's concerned about you. There's nobody more interested and concerned about your fears and anxieties and your trials and just the way it is than the Lord Jesus. And you go and tell him, say, Lord Jesus, I'm weary. I can't cope with this, Lord. Wilt thou not help me? I was like that a few months ago. And I was in despair. And I said to one of my deacons, I said, you need to come. We're going to pray your need. We're going up to the church to pray. We got down on our knees. We took that text, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There was no hope, no way out. I felt so helpless. But that word saved means to be rescued. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. Not just applies to salvation as we understand it, but to rescue us out of our plight and out of our difficulty when we're in black despair, there sees no hope and no way of extricating yourself. And we got down and we called upon the Lord. And the Lord answered. It's a great thing when you get a word from the Lord. And he seals his promise to your soul. And it's strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. And they're going and telling the Lord Jesus, you see. But then in verses 5 to 6, we read of this tarrying. Jesus loved Martha. And her sister Lazarus, when he had therefore heard that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And sometimes we can't understand this. We go and tell the Lord, and we say, Lord, I'm in a mess. Will you help me here? And sometimes, you see, he doesn't answer immediately. But one thing I've learned, I was 21 years old. I know I don't look much older now. 21 years old when I got converted. The Lord entered into my life, changed my life, renewed my will, turned my feet to Zion's hill. He's a wonderful Savior as Jesus, my Lord. But I found this time I've had to wait God's time. You remember what Moody said, don't you? When he was walking up and down that room in New York, and his colleague said to him, why do you keep walking up and down here? What's the problem? My nerves gone. Might well go sometimes. And he said to him, I'm in a hurry, but God is not. And sometimes the Lord's in a hurry. Or we're in a hurry, I should say, but the Lord is not. And we've got to learn to wait God's time. And for reasons known only to the Lord, he seemed to tarry for a little t time. But what I've learned over the years is if he doesn't come at the third watch, he's going to come at the fourth watch to bail us out when we're on the sea and we seem to be sinking and we call upon him. There was this tarrying business and we've got to wait. And then there's a the troubling here because, you see, she went to the Lord because her, she was completely dependent upon him. His power, his help, his assistance. She's tarrying, the Lord's tarrying, but there's the troubling in verse 33 and 34. Read those verses. What do we read? When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit, and we're told that he was, he was troubled. 
And he said, What? Have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And so there's a troubling here. Who was troubled? It was the Lord Jesus. Reminded here, beloved, we have a great high priest. Do you not realize today that the Lord feels for you in your troubles? He feels for you. The writer to the Hebrews tells us we don't have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Tempted in all things like we are, yet without sin. And I can go to him today. He can sympathize with me and empathize with me. I know in the darkest night, as the hymn writer says, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. And here we are. The Lord's troubled about this statue also. He feels for them. And that's why you read in Isaiah, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And so the Lord feels for you, brother, today, and he feels for me in my trials and in my situation. Thank God for that. And you run your eyes to verse 35. Well, there are these tears. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. man said to me the other day, he says, Jesus wept. I said, why did you say that? Why did you? I said, what do you mean? I said, all that the Lord Jesus has done is to die on the cross for you. And he can take these things, blasphemies upon your lips. Jesus wept. The tears that our Lord Jesus shed on that occasion. And he's watching your tears today. And David said he takes them in a bottle. Gathers them in a bottle. And he remembers everything about you. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continued before me. Yes, thank God for the tears of the Son of God. It showed the depths of his sympathy. And lastly here, we have the triumph. Eventually there was victory in this situation, notwithstanding the trials, because there's nothing too hard for the Lord. He's all-powerful. Some years ago, well, about almost 20 years ago, my first wife died and I thought I'd never get over it. And then I met a woman, Kenya, a black woman. I was over there preaching some conferences and what have you. And I met her. And anyhow, to cut a long story short, I felt I need to marry this woman. And I went into a shop and I thought, well, what are they going to be saying to me and thinking about me? And go back home and I could face all the uproar about this thing. I went into this shop and there was a little tech there and I bought it. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And that text is there now in my home in Darwin near Blackburn. Is there anything too hard? Friend, I want to tell you this morning there's nothing too hard for the Lord. Lazarus has now died. has gone from bad to worse. He's stinking in the grave. Then the Lord Jesus steps into this situation and he comes with power and he triumphs over the grave. Oh yes, they didn't want to remove the stone. There's no point in moving the stone, Lord Jesus. He's dead, he's stinking. He said, move the stone. And then he spoke those words with mighty power and divine energy that caused the king of terrors, which is death, to quake. 
and Lazarus came forth out of the grave. It was wonderful. Friend, never be in despair. Such is the mighty power of heaven. Is there anything or anybody too hard for the Lord? And the Lord intervened in this situation and God's going to intervene in your situation. How do I know that? Because I read my Bible. That's how I know it. God's told me in this old book. And when you go on to verse 45 and 47, you have the testimony. Testimony. And it's a wonderful testimony, you remember. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, well, they believed on him. And a wonderful testimony. So this woman, she desired his presence. This woman, Mary, depended upon his power. That's what we're depending upon today in our church, in our homes, in our lives, to help us to go on with him. And lastly, because I'm not a long-winded preacher, she was devoted to his person. Devoted to his person. She was taken up with the wonderful person of the Son of God. Taken up with him. Taken up with him. It's wonderful. This is seen very quickly in this passage in John chapter 12 now. We have Mary sacrificing. Mary sacrificing. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. She anointed the feet of Jesus and she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, we can think here of the thought of extravagance. She knew that the Lord was about to leave this scene of time. She knew that this was her opportunity to do what she could for the Savior. You see, friend, only in this life can we do anything for Christ. It's in this life when we can sacrifice for him. And she didn't sacrifice that which cost her nothing. She sacrificed this, this ointment which they tell us was worth, well, a year's salary for a working man. Probably something she'd saved up for many years. Maybe something that was there for future days, future trials and problems arose. And she'd have the money there like in the bank. But her heart was so taken up with Christ. She came in this wonderful manner and she began to pour this ointment upon his feet and then she began to wipe them with her hair. Now, you know how the women like to look after their hair, don't you? Hmm? You're going to go to the hairdressers. My wife's always going to the hairdressers. I keep asking, why do you keep going to this hairdresser? Don't make you look much better. No, I don't say that. But, you know, she's going to have their hair done. And some of you men, you're quite young and if you still got hair... But uh, you look into the mirror, you say, boy, look at my hair. There's another gray hair there. I'm getting older. The hair is a woman's glory, Paul tells us. And she got that which women are so often taken up with the hair. How do I look? How's my hair? And she wiped his feet with her hair. She came to that place whereby self-denial, no longer taken up with self. She's taken up with him. And the outcome was this fragrance in verse 3, chapter 12 of John. There it is. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. There was a perfume, you see. An odor of the ointment filled the place. And that's what we need, beloved, today. 
We need the odor of him whose very garments are smell of aloes and cassia to permeate our gatherings. That we've not really got the word or dead or lifeless, we've got life and power and a sense of the nearness and the sweetness and the loveliness of him who's altogether lovely. There's this fragrance. And it filled the room. She paid the price for this fragrance. She said, here it is. And everybody else benefited. Everyone else benefited. And so Mary, we see her sacrificing. But you run your eyes down the passage, you find Judas, verse 4 to 6, which we're not going to go into because of time. He's criticizing. Criticizing what Mary has done for our Savior. That's what backsliders do, and people who are nowhere with God. They're always finding problems with, with believers who are trying to go on with the Lord and be what they can for God and sacrifice God. And there's some character like Judas comes along. He couldn't care less, really. It's only about himself. And he's there criticizing this woman. And you'll find if you walk with the Lord, there will be those who criticize you. Criticize you. I spoke to a, a man in Northern Ireland, a lad who was converted in our church when he was 15 and a half years old. I think I would have been about 32 at the time. And he, he rang me up and uh, he said, I have problems, he says. I have problems, he says. The wife's criticizing me that on a Saturday morning I spend the time in prayer for four hours and meditating upon the word and she's complaining about this, you see. She's no desire for the church. She's no desire for anything, although she professes to be a believer. No desire. And she's criticizing him, you see. She's trying to pull him down. You can't allow anyone to pull you down in the Christian life. We've got to be a means of grace one to another. And this man, Judas, he was only hell-bent in pulling this woman down and discouraging her. And any fool can discourage the people of God. But lastly, we have Jesus here. Verses 7 to 8, and he's justifying her. Verse 7 to 8, listen to this here, and then we can call it a day. Then said Jesus, he's speaking to Judas, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. Let her alone. I'm not going to go into all the verses. Let her alone. The Lord's justifying her. When the devil comes and he accuses you of things, the Lord steps in. He's our advocate with the Father. And do you know what he says? Leave him alone. Leave her alone. Because there's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Who can bring any charge to the elect of God? Leave her alone. Leave him alone. And the Lord commends her for that wonderful act of self-denial and self-sacrifice. It was spontaneous. It was costly. She couldn't help herself. She was taken up with him. You see it in her countenance, the very tones of her voice. And so we've been looking just a little while at this woman called Mary, her desire for his presence, a woman who is dependent upon his power. And then, as I just said, thank God she was a woman who was devoted to his person. In our church in Blackburn, there's a text over the back of the wall, and it says, we preach Presbyterianism. No, it doesn't. We preach Christ. Of course, we are Presbyterian, convicted. We preach Christ. 
taken up with him. And if you know my Jesus, I ask you, if you know my friend, have you heard that he loves you and that he will abide to the end?